Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for coming today. If you've already been blessed, why don't you say amen? I uh, Just kind of before we jump into baptism, the Lord laid something on my heart. It's a, I feel like there's times in our life where he brings us into a season, and uh, sometimes it's just a word. And uh, he's just been kind of nudging me in an area that deals specifically with kind of redeeming the time. I want everybody to say first things first. I, I, I felt like over the last several weeks, God was bringing me to this thought of just making sure in the morning uh, I, I seek his heart, I, I pursue him as he's pursuing me. And, and just to be very transparent with you, uh, as a pastor, sometimes morning devotion with my wife, for example, something that I highly encourage any couple to do, uh, can, can just kind of fall by the wayside. I've, uh, for many, many years, um, probably for about 14 years, I get up earlier than anything else in the house starts moving around. I get up early and I've, I've kind of moved my prayer life into kind of a dialogue with the Lord. I don't know that this is normative or prescriptive, but it's something that I started doing because I found out that I would jump up in the morning and I would do a devotion, but it was really for me preparing for a sermon or for a talk that I would do throughout the week or maybe if I was doing a speaking engagement. And I felt like I was missing something. And then somebody who I greatly respect spoke into my life and said, you're really missing a huge element of personal time with the Lord that he may have something to say to you completely different from or aside from the sermon that you may preach. And so I started doing that. And then I heard someone else tell me, said, Mark, if your prayer life is like most people, it's become a monologue. In which case you get up in the morning or maybe even at night and you, you pray, you bring your petitions before him. You tell him what you're thankful for. You tell him what you're believing him for. You're praying for maybe an aunt, an uncle, mama, dad, a child. And all those things are amazing. Bringing those things, praying for our nation, praying for leadership that's placed over you as the scripture tells us to do. But then I would, maybe you do this, I would get through and I'd say, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. And I'd get up and walk away and go about my day. And I realized that I was missing a very specific part of that prayer life and that it was waiting to see what he had to say to me. Instead of just, your servant speaks, God listen, it was more of a reverse of that. God, your servant's listening, you speak. And, and I started hearing him. I started hearing him in such a manner that I, I found it important for me to do is to speak out loud what I heard or nudged, his nudging was in my spirit. And I've heard people say that for years and years. I heard the Lord say this, and I know and you know, it's not an audible voice but it is so powerfully placed in your heart that you know. The Bible says that his sheep know his voice, right? So we can know and we can discern and we temper that against his scripture and his nature, his character. It never conflicts with that. It will always complement the word of God, the nature of God, the attributes of God. And for me, however, and this may work for you, as I got a nudging on my spirit, I would just say it as if he's speaking to me. That way I heard him speaking through my own voice and it was something that I began to really uh, retain a lot different. So several weeks ago, 
God started speaking this into my heart about rising early. You know, the Bible tells us that weeping endures for a night, but joy comes in the morning. We heard that this morning by one of our folks in our prayer meeting as we do pray for the seat you're sitting in for God to move in your life. And I thought about that and I thought about the, the rising early as we would see through the scriptures. So a few days ago, I think on Monday, Stephanie and I, we were, we had uh, waken up and I prepared the coffee and we were talking or whatever. And she said, why don't, why don't you read something and let's talk about it. And I'm just gonna be very frank with you. That, that does not happen often in our home. And if you're a pastor, if you've ever preached, Mark, you may can relate to this, you and Nancy, I, I don't know. But as a pastor, a wife that hears me talk all the time, um, that wasn't something that was priority for us. She would do her devotion, I would do mine. And again, I wanna just reiterate, it's important that husbands and wives do that together. But a lot of times with me running out the door and going here and there, it had just become somewhat secondary as a thought in our home. And so she, for her to say that was absolutely profound. And so we did, I read something and Interestingly enough, wherever I turned, it was that same context. It was this idea of rising and seeking me early. And, and the Holy Spirit spoke into me at my heart and said, Mark, I don't want your leftovers. I want your best. I don't want your leftover time. I don't want your leftover money. I don't want your leftover talents. I want your first fruit. I want your best. And so I, there's a scripture that came to mind. I want to share this with you. I'm just going to share this briefly and then we're going to jump in. But I believe that this is for somebody in the room or somebody watching today. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 63, verses one through two, oh God, you are my God. Early, everybody say early. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land. In some translations, it says parched. We see in scripture, historically, water and wells and things of that is the lifeblood. Remember the woman by the well that was met by Jesus? How many of you remember that? He met her by the well, and she said, is this well not good enough for you? It's the well that Jacob, our father, dug for us. Those wells would traverse generations and live on. And if they could, in fact, dig a well that would stay wet and long-term, I mean, this was a holy spot to them. It was a place where lifeblood would, would bring forth. And so Jesus used that illustration, and he calls himself the living water. So when we see something like that, uh, we see a parallel in, in the Beatitudes where he says, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, they will be filled, or the translation would be satisfied. So this is really cool that David's saying this. He said, my soul thirsts for you and my flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So he's really speaking about the metaphor of his soul and the thirsty for a closeness and for a fellowship and for uh, the satisfaction that only that can bring. And listen to what he said. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. So God just gave me three things that I just want to lay them before you very briefly. Is first and foremost, devotion. In the morning, it's incredibly important for you to read God's word. First thing, if you look into Ephesians chapter six, you see the whole armor of God. You, you, it talks about the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. It talks about your loins or your waist girt about with truth. Jesus says, I am truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He talks about himself being the word in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, and it became flesh and dwelt among us. 
So to pursue that is really the only offensive weapon. You got the breastplate of righteousness, the feet shot with the preparation of the gospel, loins girded about with truth, uh, the, the, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith above all, he says. But then you take the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. That's your only offensive weapon. So if guys, check this out. If you go out into the world without the word of God, the promises of God uh, suited up in your heart, you're going out without a weapon to fight the wiles of the, of the devil. And so I, I went to this place in my life where, gosh, this has been 14, 15, 16 years ago. I'm not really sure how long. My grandfather, my mother's father, was, was a very, very spiritually in tune man. Now keep in mind, that was not the way he started out his life. He was, he was an alcoholic as were, quite frankly, if you look in our family tree, I mean, it's in different directions as far as you can go. Most of them were alcoholics. And it was just somewhat of a generational curse. And my grandfather had suffered some big, pretty big injuries and uh, came to the Lord and, man, just became hungry for God's word. And he would read God's, he would just sit there and read God's word. He'd pray at night. And boy, if you, he was Pentecostal. So if you went in there and prayed at the end of the night, you were there for a while. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? And he had this little tablet, page after page after page, a little bit tablet. And he had tick marks. It was like one, two, three, four, and then five. You would cross. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He had tick marks, just covered pages and flipped over. And I remember as a young, a young man before I was, you know, really running after God's heart before I became a pastor, I asked him one day, I said, what, what, what is this? He had put his Bible down and it went inside of his Bible. I said, are these verses, how many verses you read today? He said, no, this is how many times I've read the word of God in its entirety. I mean, hundreds of times he would just mark it off. He would read the Bible through it in its entirety. And he'd put, he had to have tick marks for that. And man, I thought, when I became a pastor, I thought, I really, really wish my grandfather could see me now. I remember saying that because he would have been so proud to see that his grandson had, had come out of perhaps that curse of generational curse of alcoholism and became a pastor. And I thought, man, he'd be so proud of me. So about 14 years ago, I remember having a dream and you, you, you can just simply take this for what it's worth. I believe God was showing me something through a dream because maybe I'd have been freaked out any other way if he'd have shown me this. So the dream was, I was at my home in LaGrange. I was a youth pastor and uh, I saw a car pull up out front and I remember it was so vivid. The sunlight reflected off the window, shone through the house and I looked and I thought of the car and I looked outside and I went outside because I wasn't expecting any guests. And in the dream, it was my grandfather sitting in the back seat on the, pass on the driver's side up against the window, uh, maybe his brother and then a sister or two in the front seat and the women were driving. And um, I remember being so excited. I couldn't wait to get outside to go tell him that um, I was a pastor and I knew he'd be so proud of me. As I went outside and he was so stoic, just, just face unmoved by me walking out the door. And I remember walking up to grab the handle to let him get out, to hug him. And, you know, I knew he was in heaven and I knew this was a, a moment that God was giving me. And, and I went to open the door and it was locked. It wouldn't open. And he just sat face this way, completely unmoved. I knocked on the window, nothing. And I said, I, I called him Papa. I said, yeah, I, I'm a preacher. Did you know? And he let the window down and he looked over at me and he says, some preacher you are. And he rolled the window up and pulled out and I sat there just speechless. And I thought, you know, this may seem like this is cruel, but you have to put it in context. I had been preaching a series to our students when I was a student pastor about the importance of devotion and Bible reading. 
all the while I had gone four, five, six days without doing my own devotion. And it's like the Lord revealed in that moment the hypocrisy behind what I had been doing. And it so prompted me to forever since then. I, I can't even tell you if I've ever missed a day since then. I get up in the morning, man, and I get in God's word and I, and I want it to come alive in my heart. I want it to be more than a historical record. I want it to be more than a narrative. I want it to be more than poetry. I want it to be more than wisdom. I want it to come alive in me and change me. So the first thing I want you to do is to get in God's word every day. And can I tell you something? Don't, don't get so bogged down on how long and how much. Can I tell you something? One encounter from one verse can be enough to carry you through the day. It's powerful. It's alive. It'll change you. And if listen, and, and here's your retort. I know, Mark, you just don't know how busy I am. No, you don't know how busy I am. Trust me. Here's what, here's what a guy told me, and I said that. I said, I'm just so busy, it's hard to get up. Maybe I'll do it at 11 o'clock. He said, no, get up 15 minutes early. You get up at five, get up at 4.30. Because let me tell you something. The only offensive weapon that we as children of God have is the word of God. And if we do not put that on and carry it with us, we are walking out naked and exposed to the enemy. Can I tell you, he wants to torment and to destroy you. But I believe the word of God, the verse he gives you, the passage he gives you will be the very thing you need. He says this, he will call it back to remembrance. His word will not return void. You may read a verse and you may not understand it, but then all of a sudden something happens. He will call it back and he'll say, see, that's what I was doing. So read his word. Look to your neighbor and say, read the word. Go ahead and tell them. Secondly, is prayer. Are we, are we moving into a place where we are so anxious and so depressed? God, when I was coming up, maybe I'm wrong. Anybody 50 or older? Raise your hand. Memory? You remember? I don't remember depression and anxiety being a word that was even spoken in common vernacular. I don't remember that being the case. I mean, I remember if you, if you kind of act like you get in the mother grows, my dad would come by behind me and kick me in the bus and say, get outside and play, go do something. And now we've, we've, we've landed. It's not your fault. It's our fault. We've landed in this culture where mental health is so abounding. But the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing. But through everything by prayer and supplication, make your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God will keep you and guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Hear me. You're depressed because of what happened in the past. Can I tell you something? Leave it in the past. What does your shirt, what does your shirt say? The back of your shirt. Some of y'all didn't even know there's writing on the back of your shirt, did you? Somebody stand up. Come, come here, Miss Whitney. Come, come here, Miss Kate. Kate works for us at our office. She is our intern. I want you to read that out loud. Okay, out loud. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Isaiah 42, 9. The old things are passed away. Behold, all things are being made new. How many of you failed yesterday? If you didn't raise your hand, you failed just now. Because we all fail. We fail. We come short the glory of God, Romans 3 and 23. Watch this. But by prayer, hey, here's what he's saying. Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. Many years ago, I was invited to preach in Toronto, Canada for an immigrant 
church, an African immigrant church. Many of people in this church, powerful church. Dr. David Komalafi was my was the pastor. He was from Nigeria. Many of his had escaped uh, imminent death from their own country, came to Canada, got asylum, and were a part of this church. And I'm going to tell you, you, you just can't even imagine, John, what it felt like to preach to a church, a people who really realized the gospel set them free. You couldn't even hardly start talking without them going just, I mean, it was amazing, just excitement in the church. So we went and they put us up at a hotel, it's a very nice hotel, and we went to dinner that night and we, we were getting ready the next morning. I, I mean, again, woke up very early. I've done that for a long, long time. Wake up and do my devotion. Stephanie got up and got her coffee and everything. And, and I want you to know, men in the house, it is your, your responsibility to make the coffee. The Bible says Hebrews. So you go ahead and cook the coffee, get it ready, all right? So I'm getting ready and I have my suit. I have my iPad, I have my Bible, I have my phone, I have my socks, my shoes. I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to be dressed to the nine because they wear suits there. And I'm locked in and ready to go. And, and Stephanie kind of with this frantic voice, she said, Mark. And I went, oh God, what'd I do? She said, I can't find my brush. I think I forgot my brush. And for every man in this room that does not know how important that is, take note, make a mental, it is very important. She said, you got to go find me a brush. So I'm on a mission. That's all I need, Marty, is a mission. I can make it happen, right? So I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it feel really big. I'm gonna go downstairs. There's gonna be one in the gift shop because I saw it when I came in. So I said, baby, I'll get it. I'll get you a brush. So I walked downstairs. It's closed. It's like 6.30 in the morning. I walk over, now I'm getting a little frantic. I walk over to the desk and hit the bell and this guy comes from behind the wall. I said, man, I need a brush. I said, is anybody, this is before Uber, y'all, before all that. I said, is there any way I can get a ride? He's like, man, I can't help you. I'm the only one here. Well, there's a guy standing over up against the wall. I can tell he's not from around these parts, if you will. He's got arms are folding and he's just like this watching me. And I walked over there to him and I said, hey, is there, what do you do? And he said, I'm a, um, I'm a driver for the airport shuttle and kind of smiled. I said, man, is there any way I'll pay you whatever if you can take me somewhere to let me get a brush? And he spoke, and I, then I knew he was, uh, you could tell maybe Indian or something, and he said, uh, he said, sure. So we get in the car, we get in the car in his van, and I, I reached over and shook his hand. I said, hey, man, what's your name? He said, my name is Mark. And my spirit just came alive. I thought, that's interesting. I said, man, where are you from? He said, I'm from Sri Lanka. And I said, uh, man, what, what brought you here? Just small talk. Man, I just feel the urgency behind the conversation all of a sudden. He starts weeping openly. I mean, crying out loud, like tears hitting the steering wheel. And I said, man, Mark, I said, um, what, what's happened? He said, I came here for medical attention from my heart for a heart condition in Canada. While I was gone in Sri Lanka, an extreme group came through and, and our home was under civil war and everybody in my family was murdered. He said, my parents, my grandparents, they all lived in one house. He said, we're a Muslim family. And, and they came through, this was an extreme Hindu group. They came through and killed us all. He said, and I escaped by like maybe a few weeks. He said, and I got word from a friend of the family who said, hey, Mark, they, they have a contract on your life. You can't come back. So he said, I got asylum in Canada. This is actually in my book that I wrote. And it says, it was kind of a meet them where they are. And man, now I just I just feel the Holy Spirit nudging me. I mean, I, I wasn't going to debate his faith. I understood enough about their faith that I could have, but that's what, where I was going. 
And I looked at him, man. I just put my hand on his shoulders and I said, Mark, I said, man, God saved your life. I said, but what had, what if you'd have been there? I said, man, would you have gone to heaven? And he dropped his head and he said, in my religion, you cannot know. And I said, well, in my religion, you can know. I said, man, Mark, I said, I don't believe this is about a brush. I believe this is about your soul. I believe I traveled all the way from Atlanta to Toronto, Canada. I believe I met David Komalafi, who was from Nigeria. I think God set that up. I met him in Jamaica of all places. And one thing, I said, I believe, Mark, God is converging all of these movements and all these things and for you to be rescued out for this one moment. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I want to know that God. And right there in that car, we prayed and he prayed and he invited Jesus Christ to be the Lord of his life. Why? You know what I believe? I believe because I prayed. And you know the last thing I pray every single day? God, show me your glory. God, show me your glory. Show me your face. Open a door of opportunity so that I may be your witness. And then thirdly, what happened in that moment is the most important thing that will ever happen in your life, and that is salvation. Do you know? Do you know that you know that you know? If you've ever been coming here any amount of time, you know that when we do baptism, I don't preach because I believe what's about to happen preaches the greatest message it can ever, ever be spoken with human words. But I believe with all of my heart that this is a word for somebody, and I believe it was a word for somebody in the first services. I told them this third point. You can't put off salvation. Maybe you came here today. Maybe you're watching today because you happened by. Maybe you're riding down the road listening to 92.5 The Bear because you just, you just roll the dice and there is the station you came to. I don't believe that. Much like Mark from Sri Lanka, I believe God works all things together for good. And today you're here because God brought you here to hear this. He died for you. He loves you. He even loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. Today, you've been entered into this building, into this moment, into this time to answer a very simple but the most profound question you'll ever answer. Do you know for certain that if you were to die today, you'd spend eternity in heaven? And when I ask that, most people retort to, well, I hope so, or I think so. Or maybe some would throw out, well, I've been baptized or I joined. Can I tell you something? You can have your name on every church roll this side of Mississippi and be dunked in every baptismal pool and creek uh, anywhere you want to. That doesn't make you right with Jesus. You simply admit that you're a sinner because we all are. The Bible says for all have sinned and we've all fallen short, the glory of God. And he said, there's a payment. There has to be. That's justice. When we break a law, we have to pay the fine. The fine for sin is death. He said, Mark, I'm a pretty good person. No, no, no. The Bible says there's none good, none righteous but Jesus. In fact, the Bible calls you and I, born into this world through iniquity, that we're an enemy of God. So if you do nothing at all, you're an enemy. You can't just ride this thing out. But he says, but those who call upon my name, 
they can be saved. Every head bowed. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomaston.com.